Hello, welcome back to Revive School. We are uh, on lesson 48 out of Jeremiah, just about ready to wrap up this wonderful prophetic downer book. <laughs> and uh, honestly, one of the unique uh, avenues of Jeremiah that I, I just find interesting is that it seems like God has, um, he's got lines of obedience for uh, the children of Israel, especially Judah. And then he also has certain areas that he expects of each of the other empires because he uses them. He even speaks that he uses them in the various um, spankings of Judah and Israel. And so we're going to find out one of those again in this one. We are in Jeremiah chapter 50. And uh, by the way, I am Gordy Hinky. if you don't recognize the voice uh, of a couple days ago um, from northern Indiana. And so I just should say that. But let's get to Jeremiah 50. And this is um, this is a big chapter against the um, Babylonian Empire. And uh, one of the things that you, you've seen here is there have been the Assyrians that come, then the Babylonians, and then it's prophesied the that the um, uh, Cyrus is coming. Cyrus is coming. And um, so they're going to come and they're actually going to work this too. You heard Tom talk about how the Medes and the Persians were uh, were rallying with Babylon for a while, but Babylon went in, took Egypt. And uh, so now there's you've got this, this different place there. Well, we're going to find out in chapter 50 how that plays out. But uh, if you remember the guy Johanan, and he was told not to go into Egypt by uh, Jeremiah, and he goes in there, and what just happened? Um, Babylon comes and takes Egypt and destroys a lot of the people there, and um, th- that becomes a big part of Jeremiah chapter 50. So here we are now in the Babylonian captivity of Judah because they are in Egypt and they have overrun Egypt. So let's get busy in this chapter, and I hope this all makes sense to you, because it does move along quite rapidly. But it says this in verse 1 of chapter 50, it says, The word of the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare ye among the nations. Tom uh, talked a lot about the nations that were there in this time just yesterday. And publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. In other words, just put this straight out there. And, and this is a big deal. What's he supposed to say? Babylon is taken. Bel is confounded. Meridash is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her image are broken in pieces. So what this is, Babylon is taken. In other words, he's prophesying that Babylon is going to be overthrown and that their gods can't keep them. And not only that, Baal and Meridash are the gods, the, the lead gods in Babylon, and they're broken down and and knocked over, uh, so to speak, and broken in pieces. So in other words, even their gods can't save them. And so as, as we look at this, um, Jeremiah is prophesying into the days that Babylon, which is crazy, when you're in captivity, you would probably think that what could ever change what's going on now? Who could ever approach a Babylon and how would this even work? And yet there is going to be something so awesome in this chapter that that changes all of that. So here's Jeremiah prophesying and we'll go into verse three. It says, for out of the north, there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, and they and the children of Judah together. Israel, Judah, together. 
going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces looking that direction and saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a moment. If you have Israel now saying and Judah saying, Let us join ourselves to the Lord. I want to go back a little bit because one of the chapters that I covered, it talked about how Johanan had heard the word of Jeremiah and said, skip it. We're not doing that. We're going to Egypt. When they got there, Jeremiah told them and said, if you go there, that's where you're going to die. So what I would assume then out of this passage is, is that that generation of Johanan and that company in the passage of time of the Babylonian Empire, they are probably gone now. And so here we are with the remnant of Israel, which Judah, which Jeremiah had said would be left over. And so these are the people that he's now uh, talking about. And it says, They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord, to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Verse 6, My people have been a lost sheep. And then listen, their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away from the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill and they have forgotten their resting place. I want to just bring a little bit of attention here because he doesn't necessarily put it all on disobedient people. He says their shepherds have caused them to go astray. And I I say that because what was diminished in this time with Jeremiah, the word of the Lord. And if there's somebody that should bring attention to the word of the Lord and cause people to listen to the word of the Lord and the prophets and say, listen to them or we're going to be in trouble, this would have been them. Evidently, it wasn't upheld by many of the people who were leading them or there were a number of false prophets in the nation. But God speaking to them definitely put some blame on the, on the shepherds themselves. Let's go to verse 7. And it says this, All that found them have devoured them. And talking about their adversaries now. And their adversary says, We offend not because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. In other words, their enemies could say, Look, the reason that we're taking them over is because their God has forsaken them. And this is what happens when your God forsakes them. But we, we know the rest of the story. So it says this, remove out of the midst of Babylon. Now he's talking to Judah again and the children of Israel. He says, get out of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. In other words, there's going to be people who shepherd the flocks out in the fields outside. But go be like the he goats that are just wild out there. It would be better for you to be nomads in the pastures out there than to be in the city that's going to be destroyed because there's a, there's a people from the north who are going to come in and they're going to take over the city and it's not going to be pretty here. So you can just read some of these things into the text that you're looking at. Verse 9. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. And they shall set themselves in array against her. From thence she shall be taken. Their arrows shall be as a mighty expert man. None shall return in vain. I again want to say this. Look at language in here and it says, their arrows shall be as a, as of a mighty expert man. What does, what does that give the indication is going to happen with the arrows? 
They're going to be archers coming at them. And probably guided by the hand of God. It's interesting. and says, none shall return in vain. In other words, everyone's going to hit their mark. Let's go to verse 10. And Chaldea shall be a spoil. All that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith the Lord. And because you were glad, because you rejoiced, O you destroyers of mine heritage, because you are grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls. This is some interesting, you know, farm talk. Um, you, you, what you're saying is you've gotten used to great pasture and you think you own the place. And so you just put out your roar as if this is you. And yet what the truth is, I'm looking at, if this is God speaking, I'm looking at, I'm correcting my people, my heritage, which are Israel and Judah, um, collectively, the, the children of Israel. And you think this is about you, but actually you're my correction, but I still have designs on you. And yet you think it's all about you. So you're bellowing in the field says, your mother shall be sore confounded. She that bear you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nation shall be a wilderness, a dry land and a desert. This is what's coming uh, to this region. Because of the wrath of the Lord, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all her plagues. Now, if you can imagine why he would say this, Babylon has been an empire of great wealth and great power. And it just, it just, it, you know, covers this whole region. And, and he's prophesying something and people are going to look at this and go, uh, that'll never happen. And so that, that's a little bit what we're talking about. Verse 14 says this, put yourselves in array against Babylon round about all ye that bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows for she hath sinned against the Lord. Shout against her round about. She hath given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the Lord. In other words, he is, he is judging this nation from its very foundation and he's going to destroy it completely. Take vengeance upon her as she hath done. Do unto her. In other words, they've, they've taken no prisoners. We're going after him. All right. Cut off the sower from Babylon. And him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest. For fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people and they shall flee everyone to his own land. In other words, they're going to, they're going to try to get out of this area once the uh, Persians come and begin to take over here. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him. First, the king of Assyria hath devoured him and last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. So you've got the first captivity and, and, and what has taken the north. You've got this finishing up and, and bringing in the last. And you've got all of this coming on Israel. And it's been a, a real discipline for them. And it says this, thus, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation or its habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. Uh, and it says, in the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them. So if you look at this, you're seeing the north and the south, and the discipline that has come because of the Assyrian, the, the Egyptians, and the Babylonians. But God has said, my discipline upon them 
It satisfied their um, disobedience. So I'm not, I feel like I have um, punished them to the, to the uh, extent that they have disobeyed. So now I'm not going to record those sins and continue to hold them. Now I'm giving them a pardon for their sins because of where I brought them. And, and now I'm going to judge Babylon itself. Verse 21. Go up against the land of Marathon, even against it, up against the inhabitants of Pekhod. Waste and utterly destroy after them, saith the Lord, and do according to all that I have commanded thee. He's bringing the destruction. A sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How is the hammer of the whole earth? Do you hear what he's calling Babylon? How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How is Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I think this is something that we could look at today because we look at political situations. We look at all the various nations and all this, and we could say, how in the world is anybody ever going to deal with that empire or that nation or that people? And you're going, they're saying the same thing. This was Babylon was the hammer of the whole earth and yet broken and completely destroyed. Now listen to how it says this. This, this is becoming the fascinating language. It says this, God is speaking to Babylon. I have laid a snare for you and you are also taken. You took the bait, O Babylon, and you were not even aware. You are found out, you're caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. How did they strive against the Lord? We'll continue on because that's where we're going to spend the time. But if you remember, when I talked about the Lord of hosts, I want you to pay attention to this verse. It says this, The Lord hath opened His armory. Watch out when the Lord opens his armory. His, his weapons never fail. And hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation. You know, that's what chased them out of Jerusalem. It chased them out of Judah. It was the wrath of his indignation because they served other gods. Now their sins are purged and he's opening his armory against Babylon. For this is the work of the Lord of hosts. In the land of the Chaldeans, the Lord of hosts has opened his armory. Now listen what it says. Come against her from the utmost border. Open her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps and destroy her completely. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all the the bullocks. Let them go down to slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day is come. This is the time of their visitation. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of what? His temple. I want to stop there for a second because um, what would it be that would bring about the vengeance of the temple of God? I want you to go to Daniel 5 if you would, Kevin. Daniel chapter 5 is the story that many of us know and record. Um, we can kind of say it by heart, but here's, here's what it says. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lord and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, 
which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines drank from them. We'll just stop there for a second. When you look at the things of God and you understand the work of sanctification, and this is how you can draw it into our day, what God sanctifies, He holds in covenant. And what He has held in covenant is very much when they built Him His temple and His sanctuary, everything in it had to be sanctified. It had to go through the process of purification and separation from the world so that it was used only for God and the worship of God. When they went in, they took out all the gold and silver articles that were in the temple, and now you have them drinking from them. Here's what happens in the rest of this chapter, and then we'll read on after a little bit. But suddenly a hand appears... And it says that it's a huge hand and it's only visible from the wrist, so to speak. And it writes on the wall. And yet it's visible to everybody. And the handwriting is obviously written in the wall itself. Because what they're doing is immediately it says that the king's hands failed him and his knees began to knock together. And I imagine that would be the case. He immediately called for his astrologers. He called for his wise men. He called for everybody. And he says, look, I, I want to know what this says. It's not written in our, lang- in our language, in our tongue. I want to know what this says. And they said, man, we, we have no idea. I mean, th- we don't, th- we, this doesn't make sense to us. We don't recognize this language or whatever it is. We, we can't bring the interpretation. And he, you know, he makes a big to-do about it. And then the, the queen comes in and she says, oh, king, live forever, you know. Um, but what she's saying is, I don't want to approach you in a bad way because I was supposed to be asked for if I come, so to speak. But I heard about this and I want you to come and tell you that there's somebody in your kingdom that they say that the spirit of the gods tells him what is up. And obviously they're speaking about Daniel himself. And they talk about how he just seems to have this in way of, of, uh, interpreting dreams and all these things. And they said, why don't you, why don't you call him? And so the king does and he's sent for, and the, and the king says, look, if you can interpret the dreams, man, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to put, I'm going to clothe you in, in scarlet. I'm going to put gold chains around you. You're going to be big in this nation. This has to, we have to know what this says. And, and then we come down to uh, verse 17. And uh, Daniel begins to answer the king. And you can tell that Daniel knows exactly what's happening. Um, he, he asked the Lord for the interpretation and the Lord gives it to him. Because as soon as he says to the king, he said, um, let thy gifts be to thyself. In other words, I don't want to touch what you're going to give me because it comes out of your empire And I don't have good things to say, so you better just keep your gifts until you hear what I have to say. It says, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, languages, trembled and feared before him. Whomever he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And, and whom he would set up, that's who he set up. And he put down those who he wanted to put down. 
But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Many of you know this story. And he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like unto beasts and his dwelling was like the wild asses. And they fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. In other words, he was just in the pasture land acting like an animal. Till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest all of this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Do you see what the language is out of Jeremiah? And you have brought the vessels of his house before you, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. This is what it says. This is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tikel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. In other words, if in the word of God it says that all our days are written in a book, then here's what he says. Your days are up and it's finished. So that was repeated, you know. So in other words, it was reemphasized by writing it twice. And then take hell. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. In other words, God in his judgment has said, this is what I made you to do. You are going to be a correction to Israel. But now you've crossed the line and you took the sacred things from my temple and you act like it's no big deal to me. You've crossed the line and now you're in disobedience. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, um, this is kind of quirky, because you've just had a judgment pronounced against you that's pretty specific. What he doesn't know yet is where these all the timing of this is. So evidently, he's thinking that if he could buy Daniel... Maybe Daniel could get him out of trouble because you're trying to figure out if this guy has just told you that the gig is up, your kingdom's over, and you're not going to be the king. I'm trying to figure out why you'd give him a, a scarlet robe and a chain of gold around his neck and make him third in the kingdom that's not going to be a kingdom. But obviously he has other thoughts. And so it's just interesting to look at these things and say, God, why, why is all this there? And it says this, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old, 32 years old. And so when, when you see these, this movement of this, you're going, here's the Babylon. This is the Babylon that is the hammer of the whole earth. This is the one that has the weapons which nobody can stand up against. This is the kingdom that rules over every part of this region now. And what could ever take it out? And here is what Jeremiah is saying and declaring in this area. He says, hey, just go ahead and speak it out. Babylon is over. Babylon's over. It's all done. And yet you see 
the finish of that through Daniel and you're going, how in the world could a nation be taken down? I, I, I know that this is not exactly the, the way this is, but when I look in, I, I don't know the, the answer to the mystery, but there's a, there's a revelation chapter 17, um, that talks about a nation that is awesome, huge, powerful nation. And, um, there, I, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's chapter 18. And, uh, I think it is chapter 18. And, uh, and it says that the ships go around about this nation because it was destroyed in an hour. And all the kings have lived deliciously off this nation. And I'm going, if this is the last days and there was this nation that gets destroyed, I, I look back at how this happened in Babylon and there could be people all over this world. I don't know what that, what, which nation that is exactly, but what I do know is this. There is a time coming that there is going to be the same kind of understanding in our day that there's a nation that's destroyed in, in almost no time. And yet it was a nation that everybody would look at and go, how can that be? In fact, it says the ships go round about that nation and go, how can it be that that nation was destroyed in an hour? And so I look at this passage of, of Jeremiah and I see him prophesying up to that time. And I look at what Daniel lived through then and how he was the instrument uh, in, in the Babylonian fall and the Medes and the Persians coming in. And I listen to all of these things that, that are, are put out there through Jeremiah. And, and I'm going, God, where is the voice that cries out today to help us understand how these things come to us? And God deliver us from thinking that we have such, you know, great life and all of these things that we enjoy, especially in this nation, that we, nothing will happen to us. Nothing, uh, we, we can almost forget that God, you know, is the keeper of our breath and the keeper of our hearts and, and the, and the one who keeps our enemies at bay. Because without him, we are defenseless. But I look at this and I'm going, God, help us. Help us in this day, in the 21st century, to remember the stories that there is not an invincible nation. There is not a nation who forgets God that God isn't keeping track of. There's not a people who can forsake the ways of God in the, in the ways that we have in this nation and saying, yeah, but it's okay. We're still a Christian nation, so to speak. And maybe we as the church feel good about that. But I want to tell you, the days may be coming here. What are we going to say then? Are we going to be before the face of God? And will we be those who will take up the cause? Will we be those people who will say, God, in mercy, spare us? Will we be those who will look at him and say, God, I know that we have strayed away, but God, remember us again, because we want to be the people of God. And I, I, I just listen and I marvel at these things because Jeremiah called the weeping prophet and, and for good cause. But look at the destruction that you've heard even in the last couple weeks that have been wrecked out in, in Jeremiah. And you're going, how do you live in that kind of time? How do you walk through the perils? How do you get taken as a slave into another nation? How do you continue to believe that God is in the center of all this? And yet if you're hearing the word of the Lord in your own self, if the revelation of God is with you, you have a constant in you to know the God who said that he would be with us forever, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The God who already has a plan and he's going to make sure that it happens. He's with us and he's for us. And so in this day, let, let's not get taken up with all the political garbage. 
But let's say, let's, let's look at God who is the one who is in all and through all and over all and say, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have us as the church to do in this day? May we be marked for your glory and may we be marked for your purpose and let us never become the Babylon of this day. God, don't let us forget you to be judged by you for using things that were sanctified for your purpose to be used for things that profane because that's a line that you draw and it was used against Babylon here. That's all the time we have. God bless you. Thanks for being a part of Revive School.